Hello, and welcome to the First Mind Podcast. I'm your host, Monica Patrice. We are back from a short hiatus in January. Um, Had some wonderful time traveling and visiting family, and I'm excited to be back bringing you back some good therapeutic content. Um, So for this new episode, and this is now our ninth episode, I actually was able to have a conversation with two of my favorite gentlemen, um, and it really was just kind of like an impromptu roundtable conversation that we would typically have as friends, and I just pulled out the mic and I let the conversation flow, and these men were extremely vulnerable and um, just gave a lot of information about men and how men deal with insecurities and develop their self-worth and how men learn to love. Um, it was a really, really good conversation. And so I hope you guys will enjoy this um, latest episode. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more content and episodes. And I just want to say that I appreciate you so much for listening and sticking with the First Mind Podcast. Enjoy, and I'll see you guys soon. Let's heal. Started playing football like on the little on the grass at Dodge, and I remember him just saying something to me, like this other dude, some like some black kids, like calling us monkeys or something. We like in fifth grade, and it was like the first week of school, and I remember we playing football. He like tricked me. After calling us these names, he also come up and like kind of kick my leg from under me during the game, and I fall on some mud, and I got on my new clothes. And you know, my new clothes is all like mean a lot because I, I'm only gonna have new clothes for that one, you know, that first day, second day. Mm-hmm. So I got up and just walked and punched Nick Mill straight in his mouth and cut my knuckles on his teeth. For like most of my life, I used to have scars across my knuckles. They just went away. So that's a good segue. What? <laughs> No, because David talked about that. Um, that's kind of how we got here. Is we were talking about the development in the early part of our life of our self worth or underdevelopment. So getting called monkeys is probably not contributing to a healthy sense of self worth. I think we often talk about it in the women's world are insecurities, but I don't hear it from men. So what would you say are some things that contributed to the development of a good sense of self or the underdevelopment of a sense of self-worth? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Mm, no, okay. I mean, I think if I'm thinking, if I'm like trying to reflect back on being a young kid, They've been a young kid, working class family. First, it's like not being able to afford the clothes, the shoes, all those pieces. Even before being black? Like you feel no, like. I think all this is happening at the same know, time. Like, yeah. Like it's all entangled. So I think some of it is like not being able to kind of do that performance of value through your clothes and all those things that you don't have that language as a kid, but you know, these are things that you do to show that you're valuable. You need to have these certain types of things that that's, you know, at one point it could have been everything from having a Game Boy to eventually a cell phone to having a certain type of shoes, having a certain type of clothes. But then it's also the piece of, um, you know, being a young, dark-skinned black boy and also having, you know, and I don't remember feeling like this was something necessarily that played out like as a major critique 
as I went through school, but I feel like it was something definitely within like my family with cousins, mainly other uh my male cousins, which is like we were always, you know, talking trash about each other's skin color. So me getting dark skinned jokes. If I had cousins who were light skinned, they get light skinned jokes. Who considers you dark skinned? Honestly, I got so many dark skinned jokes from like cousins and maybe some close friends I grew up with. You couldn't have convinced me I wasn't a really dark skinned person until I got to college. And then I was around like a wider spectrum of skin color. And people are like, Joe, you're not dark skinned. Like, why you keep, like, why you keep, why you keep like having this reference to yourself as dark skinned? And I'm like, you don't know my struggle. Like, but that really, you know, but that really was not us like that. That's really how it was. People like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, listen, y'all right. But mm-hmm. I couldn't see that until I got to college and was able to reflect back because that was a joke always being made by my male cousin and my friend. It was like, you dark skin, you dark skin. And it's wild because I had to look back and be like, damn, I really am not that dark skin. But that was the commentary. So at some point in there, I said, okay, I'm dark skin. And I thought in order to navigate those insults, it was, okay, well, I got to take pride in being dark skin. I got to claim it. Wow. And, and then I got to start, you know, pushing back and dogging them for it being light-skinned or whatever, not having these clothes or whatever it was. But it wasn't until I got to college, I realized, oh, yeah, I probably, you know, should not run around saying I'm dark. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm light-skinned, but I'm definitely not I'm dark. There's levels. Yeah. But, but I'm like, my cousin used to ride me so hard about being dark-skinned that you couldn't have convinced me I was one of the darkest people on this planet. That's so much. And the thing is, like, one of the things about dark skin jokes was anybody could pull them out. It didn't matter. Like, you could have nothing. You could have no teeth and no hair and, and no clothes. And still. And, and a dark skin joke was going to work for you. Like, that joke trumped all other jokes. That is a wild like it really did that's like, a wild there's tip. nobody that couldn't use the dark like you just could pull if you pulled that out it was always good yeah so that was that was really really tough and i just think it's also so interesting how long this has prevailed like when i left education the kids were still making fun of each other based on skin color but they're not removed from, I mean, all, I think to your point of why a dark skin joke always works is because we all still very much embedded in a society where white is yeah. the standard. So if, if, if so much of what happens in anti-blackness is trying to make yourself more approximate to whiteness, the, the having a darker skin color is the most, uh, like, physical manifestation of being away from yeah. whiteness. So even if you be centuries removed from slavery, removed from these different things, you still in the present day embedded in that idea that we're supposed to be trying to approximate ourselves to whiteness and dark skin immediately give you away. Maybe some people can change language, change how they yeah. dress, do all these other things. But if you dark skin, brown skin, or just can't play that racially ambiguous whatever card, people got that that joke or that critique or that, you know. So David, what like do you remember the first time somebody said something that made you aware that your skin was something that people didn't like? Or... I can't re- No, I can't. Re- I wish I could, but I can't remember the first time. 
Um, but it happens once it started. Once it was happening, I mean, it never really stopped. But what I realized later, and even then, because I, my my, I was aware of my feelings in the moment. I remember, like, playing outside and coming in, and my mom fussing at me for like being outside too long and because I'm like getting so black because I would get darker during yeah, the my, summer. Yeah, my grandmother used so, to say the same thing. Like, and this is my mom. Yeah. And I really, and she never, there, I, I didn't have the balance of um, of being negatively talk about and and also affirmed. Like I think if you're if you're being teased or something but you have someone affirming or a team of people that are affirming, it can it can in some ways counter, you know, what's happening. And for me that wasn't the case. So like I got these negative messages and that was hurtful. And I realized later in life that my mom didn't know I need to be affirmed. Mm-hmm. She loves me so much. She didn't. Today. Well, and I wonder, did anybody affirm her ever? Because you and your mom are close in complexion. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, but and I don't know, we never really talked about that, because I don't know that she really got those jokes, but I think she never understood that like your son's feelings can be hurt mm. it, your son can can hurt be hurt by the way he looks mm. I think we think to tell girls they're pretty but we don't necessarily in the same way think to tell boys they're handsome because it's kind of just assumed that with the, the male energy is going to come a certain confidence, like a machismo, I guess, that, that a man is going to carry. So you don't necessarily think that a boy would need to be affirmed by his looks. I think right. that I, I think that when I hear boys be affirmed, like little boys, mm-hmm. it's always linked to like like it's like you're so handsome. You're going to have so many girlfriends. Like, it's always linked to, like, you're going to have a bunch of women, yeah. which is always weird to me because, like, as an adult woman, your biggest complaint is a man who has a bunch of women. So why are you telling, like, the little boy, like, he's so cute? But, no, I that's a very powerful thing you said. Like, so you didn't have anybody to counter the negative, which I always say... I think that's the only distinguishable difference that I can really tell about your life versus other people who I know who had similar struggles. Like even for myself, like the fact that you are able to speak to having people who poured into you and told you like you were going to be successful no matter what. Like, I think even if you don't have resources, like if, the world is against you. Like if you have people in your house who are pouring into you, who are like, you, you are going to be great. Like it's yeah. a game changer. No, I think that's real. You know, cause I had, you know, I had a grandfather who 
probably could have passed from white. I had a grandmother who was light-skinned. Almost all of my aunts are light-skinned, and my aunt ran my family. My mom's light-skinned. And I feel like I don't, I don't recall any moment, like, any of them ever say anything to me, at least as a black boy, about my skin color, make me ever feel like that was something that was an issue. Um, but, you know, I was very aware. And it's funny, too, I even think about some of my cousins who used to make so many jokes about my skin color. They probably are my skin color. Like, it wasn't. So, like, I, I look back on it, and I'm like, I was very aware that my family had a good number of light-skinned people in it, but I never felt like that was necessarily the standard of, you know, what we were supposed to be um, ascribing to. Not saying that it wasn't, you know, some anti-blackness and all that stuff in there. But at the same time... So nobody ever said to you, you better come up in the house. You staying outside too long, you're going to get black. Not my parents. Now, I'm like, again, I think I had cousins. And I used to, you know, remember having my rebuttals back to them. It's like, you dark-skinned too. Or you, you know... But I think I had cousins who, and they own insecurities around being darker-skinned, were also just kind of projecting out to me as the younger cousin. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't remember, I definitely ne- never had no parents telling me to come in the house because you got to get darker or, or any piece like that. Um, and I also wonder, as I'm even thinking about this, like I have, uh, and my mom's fam, my mom's siblings, all her older siblings are light-skinned, but her younger siblings have a different um, father and they're all dark-skinned. And I mm. wonder even in them, and my mom and her siblings are super close. Like they all are like best friends together every week down there mm-hmm. and I wonder even in them navigating their relationship did they also already learn some type of or unlearn some things in order to make sure that they were taking care of their dark their dark skin siblings mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't have I can't think of any message not saying that it wasn't there and not saying it didn't show up in different ways I could I could guess that if you took a woman in my family who was dark skin and had them reflect on it might have been some things about hair it might have been mm-hmm. you know some other pieces but I don't recall it necessarily in my experience. And then I had a father who, uh, you know, was very, like, his big thing was always affirming us and trying to speak, like, that we were, whatever we were supposed to do, it was always supposed to be at the very least extraordinary. Like, so it was always this idea. At the very least, it was supposed to be something extraordinary. And And he he was a dark, he Just for podcast purposes, like, he truly is extraordinary. So it worked. (laughs) So, if you're listening to this and you have children, you have to tell them that they're extraordinary and then they will become extraordinary at the very, at least. The very least. And I think that that is very much, if you grew up in the Bishop household, is what you heard. My dad preached it and we brought it to my mom. She affirmed it like, yeah, y'all Bishop, y'all supposed to. Like, so it's funny because I, you know, we, we have conversations with other people and they're like, yeah, that's not how my parents, you know, spoke. They, like, my parents didn't speak like that over me. And in a way, I can kind of, I can get why it's weird to speak like that to your kid, because you are almost, you might be worried that you're going to give your kid a, too big of a head. But I think my parents are like, we are poor. We're trying to overcome some things. Y'all black. You need to have a big head because you need to have this big confidence that can withstand the blows, but also a big confidence that can like just dream big that can have that that will to keep pushing but yeah man my parents used to speak to us like just simply because we were bishops that meant 
we had some divine thing that we were supposed to go do. And you could, and you, when you're young, you don't have anything to challenge it. You're just like, okay, I'm a bishop. This is what y'all told me. And that's all I know. And that's what I guess I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but it did pay off in a lot of ways that you don't realize when you're a kid until you get older and you start talking to people and people are like, yeah, my parents told me like, don't get your expectations too high. Or And I think in the same way that you say, it's so interesting, the reframing of it, because yeah. you said your parents did it because you needed that confidence to conquer the world. Whereas I feel like, and I can only speak from my experience, maybe David, you can tap in here. My mom didn't do that for our protection. Like, I think there's something, and I don't have anything to confirm. This is just what I've rationalized after going to therapy. I think there's something in my mom's lineage where being too big, too proud might've put you in danger, like in some real, you know what I mean? So their way of surviving life was, I think, to play small. Like, and I don't even know if they know they're playing small. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so that's what was taught was like, no, you're not extraordinary. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you are um, regular, and you're going to have a regular life and be happy with that. So, David, like, what do you think? Like, what would... So, you said your mom loved you so much, so she didn't know she had to affirm you, but do you think that... Is your mom, you feel like, extremely confident? Like, would she have had that to give to you? Um, I mean, I, I think she was confident enough. I think she just wasn't aware mm-hmm. um, of what my need was. So she made, I mean, because the, the things that happened, like all the jokes and stuff, I mean, that's, that's not in front of her. So you never went home and was like, mom, like they're making fun of my skin color. No, no. Huh? No, I mean, I, I, and I don't know what I would have told her that for. Like, so how did you deal? Like, who did you... So you didn't talk to anybody about it? No, I mean, I think most of the time, if you're talked about as a kid, you just deal with it in your head, mm-hmm. you know? Like, you, you might accept it. You might reject it. You'll turn it over for a while, you know, to decide where you want to situate it in your mind. But it's in your mind, and you... Well, I don't know that there's that you go and talk to parents like, hey, I'm being teased. What what are they going to do? No, I went home. The first time somebody called me a nigger, I went home and told my parents. Oh, and then yeah. my parents came outside and they dealt with it. Some of that's different. <laughs> yeah, that's... racial story different yeah. than people who look like you. Oh, like so, uh, yeah. You I don't, yeah. yeah. And it was, it happened so much. I mean, I don't know what point so you, I But like, I guess never like collectively you expressed to your mom. Did you ever ask your mom like, Mom, like, am I handsome? No, I, I don't think question. I don't think, yeah, I don't think that's dynamic between no. most boys and a mom. You know, ask, I mean, because mm. I think you you feel like you know what you know already. So you believe that you were unattractive? Yes. <laughs> and, and as did my classmates. Mm. Jaleel, what did you so, think about yourself? Like, <sighs> I didn't. I don't remember having. I remember definitely not believing that I was, you know, some super attractive person. But I don't remember feeling like I was ugly or like 
not attractive, if that makes sense. So I didn't think like I'm gonna walk in a room and everybody about to, you know, like all these women about to run up on me. But I used to feel like, um, you know, I was an attractive person, but I also understood that attraction often was defined as light skin, mm. you know, racially ambiguous that they could be. Um, like I understood that light skin definitely was, was the trump was where attraction was. Um, Do you think it makes a difference whether you are in a predominantly black school or white school? Like we, you, your experience was in predominantly yeah. white spaces. David, was your school predominantly white? K through eight, it was all black. I imagine that. So it doesn't matter. All black. Wow. Yeah. I imagine yeah. And I'm do you think, think that's changed? Like, do you think that light skin is still the Trump card? Because I feel like Burner Boy just talked about this. I don't like he feel like it's more equitable now, but in the in the masculine, like yeah. I mean, I think as grown men, it's a little bit. I could imagine being different, but even still within that, I think there's like a. I think there's still a very certain type of dark-skinned black man that is projected as, you know, the ideal. And I think that's a very muscular, mm. like, perfect beard. Right. Like, so you can't just be a regular dark-skinned no, man. No, I think you still, <laughs> right. still got to have yeah, you where, so so you're saying that if you're light-skinned, you don't even have to have that extra sauce. I, I don't think so. Not always. I'm not, none of it is. You know, none of it is a guarantee, but I think that there are a lot of ways that people look at a light-skinned person and will see that person just in a closer proximity to what they see as beauty, as handsome. Um, and I don't think that's always what's, like, I don't think, I think it takes people some maturity and some unlearning for them to see a darker skin mm-hmm. as beautiful. Not all, not everyone and not always, but um, yeah, I don't think that's all. Or that. sometimes I'll notice with women, like it'll it'll be really dark skinned women, but with more European features. Mm-hmm. See that? You know? Um, okay, so David, you believed you weren't attractive. When did you come to realize that you might be attractive? That I might be attractive. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, when, did, like, it, when did it turn? <laughs> like, when, did it, when did it change? Because uh, you are definitely attractive. So, I mean, when I started to think, well, maybe things have changed. You know, maybe the tide is turning. It was probably, I want to say like 21, 22. It was, it was nearing the end of, of undergrad. But I also attributed some. Of so that when you to, went to college, you still had this belief. Yeah. Okay. And, and there was no evidence to to the contrary. Well, so, you weren't going to the parties. You need to go to the party. No, you don't have to. No, not. <laughs> but then, did you feel like the belief? Because this is the other thing. You can have sometimes dominant ideas about yourself, but not absolute ideas. So you could have maybe many times found yourself thought yourself as unattractive, but do you think there were times going through high school where you did feel confident in your physical appearance or you did get some type of validation or some type of flirtation or something 
there were there were a couple moments. Okay. Where, just a couple. I mean, just a couple. Okay. Where I was like, oh, like really? Like so. But for the most part, it was an absolute belief for yeah. me okay. going into college, okay. and it, it started to change around the time that I was was getting ready to graduate. But I also thought that at that time, what women were finding attractive was starting to shift also because they're looking around at okay, well, this person ain't graduating. You know what I'm saying? Like, so now women are starting to look for something else and the 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 graduation is starting to catch their eye. More. You know what I'm saying? Like, so okay, they about this. so for you, you're saying that you feel like you started to come into your understanding of attractiveness as you when you started to graduate college. Yeah, like it, like you still didn't think you were physically attractive, but you had collected more attributes that were attractive to right. women. Right, but you're still in in this time thinking you're not attractive. Perfect. This is so wild to me. It, it really for me didn't change until I until I separated from my ex wife. Now, like until then, I, I didn't. Because then I got to see, like... When did you start dating? So that's probably part of the yeah. story that we're missing. Like, because you went into marriage without really dating. Yeah. Um, it, so, but after, after we separated, I started finding out about, like, different people that had been attracted, and, and I just didn't know because I was married, and... Like there was people that I, I had a crush on that I was just like, what? Like, huh? Like and I, I couldn't believe it. So it was it was around that time that I started to to figure out like, oh, so it wasn't just that they thought I could do something for them, they were just actually attracted. So yeah, that's when it started to kind of concretize, like, wait a minute, it's, no, maybe not for everybody. But there's somebody that you know. David, when did you start dating your, your partner before you were first married? Uh, I was 22. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I can definitely think. So I, I hear what David's saying when he's saying that he think when he graduated college, he started to realize that the women in your life were seeing like these other attributes beyond just the physical as something that matters. And I feel like when I was young, I kind of had a piece of that too, of feeling like people, like how I think I just always felt like, look, I might not be the best looking dude in this space, but I'm gonna have, I got some type of game I can use here. Okay. Like, if that's, <laughs> if that's talking to you on the emotional tip, that's talking to you on the wisdom tip, um, you know, we got to go, uh, look what I'm doing over here in sports, look what I'm doing over here in school, whatever it was, I felt like I had some type of game okay. that um, at least could get me, you know, some type of attention. Um, but I do agree that I wasn't, I didn't necessarily feel like, you know, my trump card or my go-to play was, oh, I just feel like I'm physically attracted so I can move through. But you had... You had confidence in your other abilities because when you went home, the humans were like, you're extraordinary, you're magic, you can't fail. Yeah. Like David, who didn't have, who's saying he didn't have any of that validation, 
So how much confidence did you have in your skills? Like, you didn't think you were physically attractive, but oh. like how Jalil is saying, but I knew I had these other things. Like, did you feel like you had other... Well, I knew I was, I was a smart kid. So like, I was the straight A kid. Mm -hmm. I was like the, the smart boy. We started a doctor's club when I was in fourth grade. There was six of us. I can name Aww. all six now, like, <laughs> and that type of stuff yeah. gives you a, a type of value when you're in when you're in school. Yeah, like, it gives you a type of value. And I went to a private Christian school uh, that was founded by my godmother, and she oh. is no longer here. And she's she was an incredible human, and she did a lot of affirming things. Like she would, so she would say affirming things to me. Um, and just being in that environment, it was an all black school. Like I didn't, I didn't go to school with a white person until the ninth grade in my entire life. Wow. I never been in a school building and, and there was a white kid there. You know, I, I mean, I, I, the first white kid that I had a class, with, I remember my ninth grade year, I became friends with Adam Place. We're Facebook friends now. Hey, like, shout out to Adam. Adam Place. Because we had but you all, I think you, yeah. you also, um, before we started this conversation, we were talking about interracial dating, and you said you've never dated outside your race. You don't have a desire to date outside your race. And the reason you said is because there's so many um, beautiful... Yeah, like, I mean, there's just... And, and I... I'm, I'm, I say this sincerely, sincerely. I know a lot of dope black women. Me too. Like, I know a lot of dope black, there are, there are too many dope black women. There are way more dope black women than dope black men that I know. Yeah, it's hard. It's not, <laughs> no, like, it's not close though. Like. Understand, it's not close. So, okay. So now as an adult, where are you at in terms of who you are and what you feel like you bring to the table? Like, are, are we at a place now where we feel like we're attractive? Um, and I'm asking because you said you see so many dope black women, but like, I consider you to be like one of the dopest people I know as well. So like, do you, are you able to recognize now as an adult that like you're the man? I mean, uh, I wouldn't say that, but I, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I have things to offer. I'll say I have things to offer. That so I'm you sure. still don't know, like I have, I, I have things to offer. Where are you at, Jalil? Like, so I know you had somebody pour into you, but we also matriculated through a district that constantly told us that we were not um, enough. I feel like in a lot of different ways, just yeah. by nature of what society is. But anyway, so even with that validation you had at home. Like, where are you at? Like, I mean, I definitely view myself as 
an attractive person. I view myself as someone who has a lot to offer, but also someone who, you know, if I, if I need to navigate the world as some, as just the physical, like, I feel a confidence about that. But that is something I've had to grow over time. It's mm-hmm. definitely not something that was always there. Um, and I don't know, it's a... What about in spaces with people with, like, a lot of money? Like, having not... Having grew up with little resources, like, do you feel comfortable in spaces where people have a lot of resources? Because that's a struggle for me. I mean, I think I feel comfortable in those spaces, but I'm also, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't seek them out. I do find myself in them sometimes if it's work or just social life, but... Yeah, I don't find myself like super uncomfortable. It's nothing, okay. It's nothing about there that makes me feel like, oh, I'm an imposter. I'm not supposed to be here. Or even if I am somewhere where I'm like, oh, I don't know the etiquette of this space. I'm yeah. also, I find that like a humor in that too. Okay. Like, so you wouldn't, like if you went to, I don't know, an event and like didn't know what fork to use. It wouldn't bother me. Because it would be like, I would laugh at the idea that we have but i think a part of that was just also like there were some rules i gave myself very early in life to just not be invested in something Mm. so and some that has served me and some that has been things i've had to unlearn but some of those things were i didn't have money so i was not gonna be able to build no confidence no swag no nothing around stuff with money Mm -hmm. so that was having these type of shoes these type of clothes this type of etiquette this type of suit, it just wasn't something I invested a lot of energy into because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not about to be able to pull this off. And at least when I was a kid, I was like, I don't know when I'll get to a point I'm able to do this. So if I'm going to have value, I got to go find it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like it couldn't be in those things. And I think that has served me in a lot of spaces now, places where. That's so amazing that you. So you like conditioned your brain to I, be like, money doesn't matter. Like even yeah. when you meet people, like it's just like whatever. But. The downside of that too is that you you basically divest from things so long that when you get to the point where you can't actually make the choice now to be like, oh, I can make the choice to get some Jordans, but you already spent all this time telling yourself, don't ever, <laughs> don't ever care about no damn Jordans because wow. you can't afford them. Wow. You gotta go find wow. value somewhere else. Don't ever care about them damn wow. Jordans. And now I can go buy some Jordans, but I'm like, I already told myself for years. And and Jordan's maybe a smaller thing, but it can get yeah, bigger. Yeah, no. You have to be like, yeah. you may not be giving yourself. You may not be taking full advantage. I may not sometimes take full advantage of like my financial resources and comfort because I'm like, those are things that I just divested from a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Saying like, I don't have them. I'm not sure if I'm gonna get them, so I'm never going to care about them. And. It's, 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 I had to unlearn that in some areas, and then some areas it has served me because mm-hmm. it just has made me have to go find value somewhere else mm-hmm. outside of you know some of those material things. But it it also you know has been a limitation. And I've had to realize like being basically having to do reflection and saying like, do I dislike this because I actually don't want this thing or don't value it or do I dislike it because that's a narrative I told myself mm-hmm. when I was a kid mm-hmm. um, and that just you know takes some reflection that's so interesting yeah, to me because I don't think I don't frame it like that 
Like, I don't, I didn't, whatever happened in my little kid head, probably because I didn't have the person tell me I was extraordinary. I did, my dad always said I was magic. And I did believe that. But I framed it in my little mind, developmentally, that I didn't deserve those things. That Well, and probably after having kids, like, yeah. it really cemented that belief. But like, because I had children out of wedlock, and I was told, like, I wasn't deserving of a good life because of that choice. So I think, whereas you're saying I'm not invested in that, which is very different yeah. than saying I'm not worthy of it. Yeah. Uh, but I think as I've, as I've come into my own as an adult, I, I struggled with that for a long time. Like, even get myself things that I needed, like quality footwear so my feet would hurt, but like just, David, just go ahead and spend the money. Like you can. Um, so I, but I, I think I'm at a place now where I, I do think I'm deserving of nice things, and I don't have a, a really difficult time, um, get like paying for them. But I do have a difficult time with certain things like DoorDash or like like if I feel like, like would I'm you spending, get would you get a housekeeper? I thought about it and could. And, I know you can. And and just like I just can't do it. I yeah, just, it's. I think it's. Yeah. It's. it's oh, no, it definitely feel uncomfortable. But I could do it. And we. <laughs> <laughs> if I listen, if I had a different place, if I had a bigger place, you then maybe like, I could. This is a nice size place, but also we grew up. We had resources. I just somewhere down the line they said. This is the most you're gonna get, and you can't have no more resources than we had. Like you know, so, um, yeah, we had, we had, yeah, we had, we had a lot of resources. And I think that I think what also is most interesting, and you and I talked about this the other day, is that we really set ourselves up to have the life. Like we're multi-degreed individuals. We make good money. Like we set ourselves up to have the life. I still just never bought the life. Like I, I still like lived like a person who didn't have the means to have the life I deserve. So for me, it is about self worth. But Jalil is saying, yeah, I think it. Well, there's another part for it too. I think being grown up poor, it was a long time too. Thinking that all this, basically, I mean, a part of me growing up poor is that it was always a crisis that was happening. So I, so even when I got financial stability, which I joke that I got it right away because like I grew up in a household where my mom made, you know, probably by the time I graduated high school, my mom probably was making like $25,000 a year. So, and you know, I'm one of, my mom has six kids. So, you know, that's not a lot of money. And that's, that's when I graduated high school. So that means, you know, she was making much less than that. Prior to that, so when I came out of college and was in my doctoral program, my fellowship paid me. My fellowship plus other work, I probably was making like forty thousand. I was, I was good. Like, what y'all got to tip me? Like, I'm like my first con, my first contract in two thousand was thirty nine. That's what you said. Which is so I felt like, to me. Oh, I, was I felt like yeah. I was chilling. I just remember, David, when we first got like those jobs, 
mm-hmm. like our real big adult jobs, yeah. which was in the same district. I just remember I had, I've been eyeing this BCBG Co. and it was like $500 at Nordstrom and we would go visit it. Do you remember? Like I would take you to visit the Co. and I would try to coat on because it wasn't that I didn't have the money to get that coat. It was always like, I'll spend that money on the kids. I'll spend, like that stuff was not, you know what I mean? Like, so, but, but I did eventually get the coat. I still have that coat. I can't hardly fit it. Like it's very tight, but I love that coat. But yeah, I remember like our first. Well, that's funny because I have a, a coat story with David. Do you remember? I do remember. <laughs> I don't know this story. Yeah, so, and this is why it's, what's funny is that when I met David, I thought David was, I was in high school, I guess at this point. Yeah. And I thought David was this cool dude with all his swag, all his fashion. Like, so the, that's why it's, to hear you say that, you know, you didn't know, you still have to work through whether or not he was attracted. I thought David was, <laughs> was the dude. Like, you know, and David took me to, I don't know, we was at the mall. Yeah, and he took me to Crossbow. Yeah, it was after yeah, yeah. And he took me, we tried with coat. I remember it was like this gray, like peak coat with a little fur on it. With the yeah. white fur and fur. And David was like, yeah, man, you look good in that, whatever. I had that coat and rocked it until I couldn't rock it no more. Oh. And a part of that was, but I remember that being one of those moments where I made a choice to buy a coat that wasn't, Frugal wasn't practical. Oh, I love this story. But it was a time of being like invested in fashion and being like, oh, okay. And David put me on to that. Man, yeah, I remember that, that coat. Yeah. There's a photo of you <laughs> in the mirror in that coat. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know where it's at, but yeah. man. I know that this is only going to be audio, so nobody's going to be able to see how <laughs> like attractive and well dressed and well groomed these men are. But I'm going to put pictures up so y'all can see them. <laughs> But one of the things that came out of the conversation we had the other day that I want to make sure that my female lady, women, feminine energy people are hearing is that sometimes the men don't know. Like sometimes men are not shooting their shot because they don't know that they have a shot with you. So a lot of times as women, we're thinking and overthinking like, that is something with us. But sometimes the most attractive and most together men, because I have two of them sitting here, are saying that they don't always feel like they look. It really is that way. Like a lot of times people, you know, it's it's happened where a person has told me like, well, I I have a crush on you. I I like you. You are are kidding me right now. So, um, I would have never known. And there's people I've never, you know, I never would have talked to if they would show some interest. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, every man is not every man. Maybe, maybe it's humility. Maybe it's, and maybe it's just a lack of confidence. I'll say two things on that. I think on the first piece, it is interesting. I do feel like most of the time when I've had women express attraction to me, it has been like after the fact or in a space where nothing's going to happen because I'm with somebody else or something like that. Like, I feel like it's been more of like, oh, you know, I had this big crush on you then. Um, so it is interesting how much it's not necessarily. But are you surprised? Because David's saying he's like legitimately surprised. Like, I mean, I'm not like. 
I'm not surprised in the sense like, wow, someone could be attracted to me. That type of surprise. I'm sometimes so surprised like, oh, that person was feeling me that way and ain't never act, say anything, um, or any of those pieces. But I don't. I do know when I got with my partner, like before we got married. So we back in college. Both, and like we had before we like fully got together. We had different moments in college where we just were dating or whatever. And I do remember something that was so affirming was how much. My, how loud my partner was about just like how much how attractive she was to me mm. like, you know how like just she saw me here on campus and you know thought I was so handsome all these different oh so men like compliments I mean I personally like, I like, <laughs> I like, I like, I like somebody tells me I'm handsome um, um, yeah like that's that's yeah. great so I feel like that was something that was very attractive to me you know just and for me, again, a person who wasn't, who I'm not a person who believed that, you know, you got to have on these shoes, these clothes, whatever, in order to be presentable, likable, whatever. So having a partner, too, who was just that enthusiastic about me without feeling like I need to have X, Y, Z thing going on. Wow. was like, very I get a partner. Enthusiastic. <laughs> wow. Enthusiastic. Well, you can describe your partner as But how beautiful is that to say? Like, uh, I'm not invested in material, so I'm just showing up as my authentic self. And this other human is recognizing me and my beauty from across campus in my authenticity. Like, I think that's what everybody wants and strives for. You said for. the same one more time. <laughs> Enthusiastic. Oh, my God. And it felt, it it definitely felt different. Like, I've had people who like me, people, you know, who I've been in relationships with, people I was attracted to, but it felt like, yeah, it just felt different. And I think that's like a, yeah, I can't, I can't say that that's a feeling. And I don't know, I can't say that, like, you know, my, a friend or a person I know who I may say, oh, this is a light skin attractive person. I don't know if they're experiencing enthusiastic attraction or not. <laughs> I feel like what felt different to me was just have somebody being really in my face about... I want somebody to be enthusiastically <laughs> attracted to me. I'm, a, I'm about to say something unpopular. <laughs> and people are going to disagree. Men like to be pursued too. It, I mean, what Jalil's describing is not pursuit, though. Like, it's some pursuit, though. It's, it's, I'm enthusiastically attracted to you. Wait. I see you from across the hall and I love the way you look. That's not me pursuing you. That's just me expressing how you're vis that. visually, aesthetically pursuit. pleasing to me. I think it's pursuit. But also, is it problematic to say men like to be pursued? No, and I shouldn't be gaslighting you into not feeling that way. But um, like, because I think it's be because it's problematic. That was your response. Yeah, I just I like like that, that. There was a rub when I said that. <laughs> and, and why was it? And, and, and why is that a rub? Why is that a rub? Because I think as a woman, before don't talk. Yeah, I'm not. Listen. I'm not. As a woman, if you said I like to be pursued. People wouldn't say, what you mean you, you like to be pursued? You know, it's just like, that's acceptable for you yeah. to feel and then proceed to talk as about a it. woman. 
Like you, yes, I like to be pursued. Yeah, and you might even be complimented on um, that that you know your worth. Yeah, you know your worth. That level of class. That you're the catch. Yes. Ooh. But if a man says the same thing, like, why is it that men can't? Like, okay. If, okay. If, if, we, if we, I'm why agreeing. Why can't men have the same desire and emotion? That a, that a woman has. So normally I probably would want to get into like some heated debate about it, but I don't, I don't even feel that in my body because you detailing your experience of like becoming who you are today and saying like, sometimes I'm shy in the world makes me feel like women could more enthusiastically show their attraction. I'm not saying pursue, but I'm saying I think it helped me understand. It helped me it helped it it brought clarity to it brought clarity to me that men need to hear compliments. Yes. Men need to be enthusiastically or pursued. But let's talk about the let's talk about I want to unpack the pursue part because I think I could see can see why I can see the hesitancy about saying about fully you wanna validate it. I want to hear what she want to move right past it. Yeah, I want to hear what, right past past what makes you hesitant because it ain't in her it ain't in her bones right now. So what make you hesitant about the idea of you? Yeah. So I so what's funny about the question is there was a time in my life where I would say to myself like we're not waiting for men to talk to me like yeah. I, if I want a man I'm gonna talk to him and I think I'm just. I no longer have the emotional capacity for that. Like, I feel like. <laughs> so I, I no so longer have the emotional so capacity. It's, so it's personal. To women, yeah, so it's, so it's definitely come to me now. But hey, and I mean, you you have to absorb. <laughs> you have to absorb the consequence, which is sometimes going long periods of time without any sex or intimacy. But I am in a place where I feel, and I don't just feel this way about men. I feel this way about opportunities, career. Like I feel like. What's meant for me can't miss me. So whether I'm like, it's all going to come to me. There may be a situation where I'm put in position to say the first words to a man. And if that's what I'm supposed to do, it'll come to me. What about, so what about pursue? I don't understand what you mean. Like, I mean, you, are you saying you, like, I, okay, let me, pursue let me, a man? maybe we should clarify what pursuit means. So are you saying like, that was sounding nice too. You're saying <laughs> I want to understand what you're saying. So you're saying like I meet a man that I'm attracted to, uh-huh. and he, if I'm pursuing something, I'm assuming that the other person is oh. playing hard to get. Oh. Is that what's happening? Wait, 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 wait. Like I don't know what's happening. Wait, 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 like wait. why am I having to pursue? Why are we suddenly not understanding? I don't like, oh my, I didn't do that. Oh so my god! I don't, I don't now we don't even understand what. Yeah, I don't understand. Okay, so watch this. Can somebody so, so, explain it? Okay, so maybe it's he met the man, got a nice conversation, you know, and you know where he works, and you do you send him flowers? Come on. Uh, what? Well, why not? Come on. Why not? Why not? Okay, let me bring it to a. Okay, you at a bar and it's a man who you are like, oh, he look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you send him a drink? I would, okay. and I have. Yep, I would, and I have. Because I think what where I'm seeing pursue is: Are you the person who's willing to shoot that first shot? Yeah, but that's or, not pursue. That's or, just or shoot or shoot your shot consistent consistently without knowing 
that this person is yet feeling you or um that you you know you gonna get that same energy in return now you may get it soon you may get it you know later. yeah later you but never get you gonna go through that initial effort without knowing it you know, what's coming out. Yeah, no, I feel like I have definitely shot my shot first. I have bought a person a drink without any regard for where that drink would go. Like, as a friendly, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think of pursuit, I think of, like, I'm calling you and you're not answering and, like, a pursuit, like a chase. Like, I'm chasing after you and you're running, clearly, because why would I have to pursue you? Okay, you understand that. what I'm saying? So, like, I don't so even know if I recommend for you to be in pursuit, <laughs> be in pursuit of somebody. So, like, so anything that you are now, chasing is trying now, to get away. Like, somebody so. is, is taking on some <laughs> breakfast meeting now. Okay. Yeah, this this is solely basic. Okay. No, I'm so, just saying, like, I don't, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't, But again, this is a feeling that I have with everything in my life. I'm not chasing any of it. Like, I'm I'm not. And interestingly enough, Jalil was a big catalyst to me having this attitude. So I don't know if it's working for me or not. But (laughs) Jalil, you know, he would say to me, like, you, like, are worthy of the opportunities that are coming to you. Like, you, like, you got, like, you got this. So you know, like I, yeah, I'm not pursuing things. I'm not chasing things. Like if something comes up and it seems like it's difficult for me to have or get, I'm not doing it. And I, because I've done it my whole life and to know a bit, like I'm not like, I haven't received a reward. Pursue more as this idea that someone is trying to go after something that is, maybe trying that isn't that what it means it's trying i do i think that is what the literal definition (laughs) the relationship definition at least how people how it's used often people are at least assume that just means that it's trying to go talk to yeah okay so but but i think you also bring up this idea that where you say you draw your line is you're not you're not chasing you're not begging you're not convincing a, writing a cover letter at this point is hard for me like <laughs> but you here are. i am do you want me or not like i don't want to do a whole lot of work i grew I, I i'm overcoming an issue of feeling like i have to do a whole lot of work to be worthy for the blessings that i get and i'm just not there anymore so i not only am i not pursuing but now having had this conversation i don't think you should pursue either you know what i'm <laughs> well, then, when, when you say that um, men want to be pursued too, are you? Yeah, well, you tell us, because I want to be able. I want women to hear what men might want. So far, we know you want compliments. How would you? So this is actually a real question I was going to ask. If you sometimes don't have the awareness that a woman is actually interested, enthusiastically interested in you all the time. What would you want women to do to let men know? Men who might also be in this space of like, I don't, I just didn't know. Like I have a lot going for myself. I'm a handsome person, but like I just maybe didn't fully know that this type of woman would be attracted to me. What would you recommend for women to do to like? Um, say hi. I mean, I think all I think all a woman needs to do is, is 
give conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, I think for the most part, if a woman initiates a conversation with a man and he is interested, he's more than likely going to close a conversation with a way to, to further conversation. Mm-hmm. More than likely. So you think I just think, saying hi. I'm an idiot to not do that too, but um, I think at least saying hi, just offering conversation, just just uh, just let you know I'm open. That's really all it is. Okay. Women, say hi. <laughs> and let it be known that you're open. Yes. <laughs> you interesting. Yes. And be enthusiastic about it too. Yeah. Don't be half-stepping. Um, okay, so I'm going to... We are at an hour, and my episodes only go an hour, and I don't know how to really um, edit all like that. So I try to just record for an hour. But I want to ask y'all a question that I asked a previous guest. Um, Shout out to Luba. Um, Luba and I did an episode on love back um, during Sweetest Day, so October, which... We talked about how Sweetest Day is for the men, Valentine's Day is for the women. We're coming up on Valentine's Day. But Luba talked about love and, um, you know, what we're doing as women to try to prepare ourselves for, to be the, to show up as the best women we can be for, the, for our men. So one of the things I asked Luba is, how did she come to learn about love? Like, who taught her how to love, who to love, like, who taught how did she learn love? So that's a question I want to pose to you. <laughs> um, because I'm interested in how that, that journey matriculates and manifests for men or the masculine. Like, I think people assume that women are naturally nurturing and loving. And so we already got it in the bag, but there are, you know, and there probably is an innate nature, but Society does a heck of a job of conditioning all of us, I think, to be more self-absorbed, more, you know. So how did you learn what you now come to believe is love? Because Jalil, you're married. David, you've been married. So you, I would like to believe that you feel like you've been in love before. So how did you learn what that is? I mean, I really feel like I just got to look because I had, I don't think I had any definition, any even investment for definitely through like my teenage years, through I guess early college and this idea of even finding love. Like I thought like, okay, I'm going to find love, but I had no idea what that looked like, how to pursue it, like what how that was going to pop up. I don't even think I took the idea of relationships even serious. Honestly, like I was so focused on like, I need to hit these milestones, need to do these things with my life that like relationships were just always in my mind something that was fun, something to like have like a relaxing kind of fun little short time with a person, but they always had very clear expiration dates in my mind. Like they were not. So I- Like you went into these Knowing like this is just gonna be a I'm yeah. here for and I would a say before good time, not a long yeah. time. <laughs> before I got with my wife, my partner, most of my relationships before that were just they were people who we either were 
you know, flirting, messing around long enough that it just became a relationship versus we were people who were super excited about each other and now we're in a relationship. It was more like, all right, we've been in each other's space enough times now. Mm. Been messing around long enough, now we're in a relationship. So, like, trying to, like, I I don't even know if I believed when I was a teenager that you could even be in love, which I, I just thought, like, anybody who I heard talk about they so in love, I'm like, Y'all just silly. Like, y'all, that's what my attitude was. Like, ain't no teenage love. <laughs> I don't agree with that now, but that was my mentality back then. So the reason why I say I got lucky is because when I met my partner, like, and we for real started dating, like, I was in love, like, and quick. And I think I was so unprepared and I so, um, like, unprepared myself for that that with the wrong person, they could have had me on a wild journey because I just had no, I didn't put no thought into what it means to be in love, what, how to like have expectations and other things around it, that with the wrong person, I think they could just took me on a wild ride because when I fell in love, I was in, I was in deep. But I think I also was fortunate enough to be with a partner who like just had a really considerate, patient, and like, yeah, I think just like gentle love that helped me who just didn't know shit about love for real, kind of like learn that along the way. So I don't know. I think love now is like a, this beautiful thing that I imagine that you actually do experience at all these different parts of your life. If you, you know, are open or able to have that interaction, that connection with a person. And I think it's something that's really about seeing that person outside of yourself, outside of their relation to you, and just being like, I'm wild about who that person is. Not, it could be accomplishments, it could be success, but it's really just who that human being is. You just are wild by them. Like you feel this type of excitement and joy at just the fact that they are here living their life. And that makes you feel like, wow, that's amazing that this person's here. Uh, more amazing than I get to share that world. Like, that's love. But how I got to that, <laughs> tell me, like, I was a fool. That is a beautiful life. definition of love. That's love. How I got it, though. That was nice. that was more descriptive than even we had as women. Like, that was a very good description of love. Where you at, David? I don't, I don't have a description of love. Um, to share, but what I can share is where I, where my idea of love was really birthed. It was, it was the Dwayne Whitley relationship. Mm. Because, um, so, so many of you about my story. Silly character that nobody took seriously, but evolved into someone that people respected. And then he got the girl that, you know, he won. He got the girl, and they were different, but they kind of like. 
they work together, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it felt like even in the, t- the difficult times when she got on his nerves, he, he loved her still. It, it seemed like a realistic, it's a realistic version of love for me when I was coming of age to understand love. So that's where I, that's where I think that Dwayne and Whitley taught me my idea of love. And so I'll share this too. I know you're, you're over, but you're already over. So um, I follow Brandy. I think it's Brandy Evans. Is that her last name? So she's Mercedes on P Valley. So mm. I love Mercedes, and that's my one. So I follow her. Shout out to Brandy Evans. And she posted a pic of herself meeting um, with Jasmine Guy. And she's like, she was just talking about how she loved Whitney's character on A Different World and like how inspirational she was to her and that. And how she would like starstruck where she met her. So I commented on it and was like, I said something like, you know, I wanted to be the Wayne Wayne so bad. And she re- she replied and said something like, and oh my God, I wanted to be Whitley so bad. Uh, so you about to get Brandy <laughs> Brandy, no, you hear him talking to no, you? No, so I wanted to reply like, so if we get married, you, you gotta, gotta shoot your a, shot. We gotta have Brandy, a different world this thing, man. Uh, a different world thing to get you Oh, that's what it has to be. That's a if really good married, story too, though. What was it about Dwayne that you wanted to like? What? How, we, no, we don't have we don't have the time. Okay, that. but like in reference to how he treated Whitley, like what? Um, it just it seemed it seemed like his his desire for her superseded the way he she could make him feel in any at any moment so like he desired her more than she could could annoy him oh. like there's nothing that she could do that that would just make him not want her yeah that's really sweet yeah. look at y'all love birds what's your definition of love um I would say that now it is a safe space where I can show up authentically and not be um, anxious. Like, I think I used to think that, like, that excitement, those butterflies and all that, like, was an indication of love or of love would be forthcoming. But I think now I think if I'm in your presence and I feel relaxed, you know what I mean? Like I can just be myself and not have to put on, you know what I mean? Like that's what love feels like to me. And I think I've also started to really understand how expansive my net of love is. Like when you also include things outside of romantic love, like there's so much love. And I think, it helps me to like go back to that, like to that understanding, like that um, 
love is like I have so many people in my life who I can be myself who I can show up authentically with who they can show up off like we can just have a like you know like this like you know so that's how I see it that's real I like that um okay so quick last question Valentine's Day what would you want like what would you what would be the ideal gift that a woman who is in pursuit of you, David, could give you. And Jalil, you've been married for how long? Uh, I've been married for six years. So for six years. My partner, okay, so at th- like this, you got some skin in the game. So what could your partner do that would make you feel loved for Valentine's Day? And then David, what would like a woman who is pursuing you? <laughs> I man, I really you're gonna have a much better answer. <laughs> I, I really It's not a competition. No, no, but like because I don't really have I don't know that there's really a thing. Like I I mean I guess a, a, a any kind of thoughtful gift would make me happy. Mm-hmm. But I think what this might sound really strange, but I, I think what pleases me most is appreciation. So, like if I do something for a woman on Valentine's Day, if she really appreciates it, mm. that makes that makes me feel best Aww. more than like something she could get me or. Like that would be that would be really really nice, not like it. Enthusiastically appreciate you, yes. yeah. Like that. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's a neat way to look at that. So bigger than what she might be able to gift you if she was enthusiastically appreciative of whatever you give her. Even if it was like dinner at Cheesecake Factory, she should still be, I think, enthusiastically appreciative. (laughs) Let me just say real quick, I don't have nothing against Cheesecake Factory. I want to say real quick, I don't have nothing against Cheesecake Factory. But... That ain't free. But <laughs> I would prefer to go to like your favorite like hole in the wall hood spot with authentic food than I would the cheesecake. Why are we going to the cheesecake factory? Like I can go to the cheesecake factory in any city. Like show me your city. Like show me. I'm about to try to show you what I am. <laughs> they might like cheesecake factory. It might she be the will. place you like. Let's not play. Okay, now. <laughs> Cheesecake Factory is not considered high. But wait a minute. I'm trying to be not invested in the materialism of it. And I'm saying that I would prefer to go to your hood spot than I would the Cheesecake Factory. A part of that is also that a part of how we define value now in this new era is not just like the hood spot, the hole in the wall has value because of part how we Define value is like having something that is seen as authentic or real. 
where Cheesecake Factory. The Cheesecake Factory is not, not authentic I'm, or like. I'm not trying to defend Cheesecake Factory, but there was a point in time when Cheesecake Factory would have been considered like I'm taking you on a nicer date. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And now, and it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, right? I don't, I don't, you're not understanding what I'm saying. I'm not opposed to the Cheesecake Factory because it's the Cheesecake Factory. I'm opposed to it because there's one in every city. So I've had it before. I want to go on an adventure for a date. Like I want to do something new. I want to go to a talk. We go to a taco truck. I don't care. Like I just, I don't want to do something that I've done on my own many, many, so many times. So you're pursuing it, man. We're not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I wouldn't take them there. Okay. I wouldn't take them there. I would want to feed them fruit <laughs> on a picnic. Yeah. So now what? Okay, so enthusiastically, it's so funny. Like, I invite y'all to come and be real, but then it's forcing me to be real, too. Um, okay, Jaleel. Now my yes. Do you even celebrate this man-made? <laughs> uh, honestly, you know, we do celebrate Valentine's Day. Okay. It's not a, you know, huge, huge thing. Any of these days, if it's an anniversary, birthday, I just always some type of card, note, letter, whatever it may be, they just have some type of meaningful message in it. So it could be appreciation, it could be a expressing something that my partner recognizes in me that either I may be aware of or may not be aware of, but I think some type of like just message. A card with authentic appreciation. David just wants enthusiastic appreciation for his. Like, y'all don't want Chanel bags or nothing, huh? I love this. So, ladies, think about that, too. You gotta know your partner. You gotta know your partner. You gotta know your partner. Don't want to love that. <laughs> <laughs> don't right. play yourself. Don't play yourself. Don't know what they. I'm about to take this Valentine's Day off. What? I really appreciate um, y'all being on the podcast. I know there was some apprehension. Um. I enjoyed this conversation so much. And I appreciate y'all authentically showing up. Um, because that's not always easy to do to be that vulnerable. So thank you for that. And thank you for allowing me to be authentic. Um, I like the Cheesecake Factory. And so I was gonna say, in pursuit of happiness. You gotta find happiness wherever it's at. Wherever it's at. Yeah, and it's yes, absolutely. Let's go. All right. Yeah, thank you. Um, Anything y'all got coming up that y'all want to share with the audience? Shout out to South Africa. You'll be in South Africa next month. So David will be in South Africa. Um... If you are not familiar with the uh, Dr. Jalil Mustafa Bishop, um, he could be doing any number of things. But one of the things that 
some listeners will be interested to know is his justice work in fighting for our student loan debt. Um, you can go check him out. He's been on the floor talking about it and trying to advocate for us to um, get rid of the student loan debt. So, yeah, um, these are not important work. These are not your average uh, humans at all. Like at all, they're extraordinary. So, um, I'm glad that we got to yes share share that with the world. So. All right, the first mind podcast. We will see you on our next episode. Let's hear.